Welcome to Common Sense Institute's Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Alexa Eastberg, and I am a research analyst with Common Sense Institute. As an analyst, I am proud to help provide fiscal analysis on proposed policy changes facing Colorado. Policy changes can often have broad and long-term ripple effects. We utilize dynamic economic models and other tools to simulate economic impact scenarios across Colorado's economy. I hope you enjoy this episode as we dig into the data. And now, here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am the chairman of the board of Common Sense Institute. Thank you for joining us today. In celebration of Older Americans Month, I didn't even know it existed, by the way, today we are going to explore the topic of Colorado's aging workforce and the impact it will have on our state's future. Older Americans Month is an annual event dating back to 1963 when President John F. Kennedy designated May as Senior Citizens Month. It was later renamed Older Americans Month, honoring older Americans. Now, I notice there's no designation of age here, so anybody that wants to join this group can do it. Is that fair? Absolutely. Okay. In celebrating their contributions to our community and nation, if you'd like to learn more about Older Americans Month, I encourage you to go to the Administration for Community Living at ACL.org. Joining the conversation today, I report co-authors Karen Brown of iAging and Aging 2.0, Denver Chapter, and Alexa Eastberg of CSI. Karen Brown is the CEO and ambassador of iAging and Aging 2.0, and the past chair of the Strategic Action Planning Group on Aging. Karen, I want to learn about, a lot more about this. And Karen is an advocate for older adults. Her work involves promoting policies that help older adults retain and or secure work, supporting employers in evolving strategies and tactics to recruit or retain older workers through the Age Inclusive Management Strategies Program. Karen, I've really got a lot of interest in what you have to say. Welcome. Thank you so much. I am just delighted to be here today, and I'm excited to share the opportunity that exists for employers to really help themselves grow their profit margin and grow the economy. And I really want to learn. I think everybody on the podcast does too. Alexa Eastberg is a research analyst, Common Sense Institute. She's part of the brains behind that outfit. And we're proud to have her as a part of CSI. Her experience covers analyzing workforce, crime, education issues in the state of Colorado. Alexa, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Earl. It's good to be here, and I'm excited to speak about this report that I worked on with Karen. Okay. Before we begin, if you'd like more background on the discussion today, listeners can find CSI's latest report regarding this subject that Alexa just referred to, titled Colorado's Future, the Impact of an Aging Workforce, on the CSI website, commonsenseinstituteco.organization. Let's get started. Colorado's workforce dynamics. Alexa, let's start with the changing dynamic of our workforce. In the report, you found that between 2010 and 2040, workers the age of 54, age of 54 and older, are expected to grow from one in every five workers to nearly one in every four workers. Hmm, that's quite an increase. Can you give us some insight as to why? What's going on here? Are these people just retirees all of a sudden moving to Colorado, or is this natural progression of aging in our population base? Sure. Well, to start, Colorado is not unique in the challenges its workforce is facing right now. 
However, the impacts of the pandemic, coupled with the continued labor shortages, is making it quite difficult for our state. Currently, there are more than 151,000 job openings in the state, according to Connecting Colorado. To meet these labor demands, Colorado must retain and hire skilled workers, which can come from the mature and older workers that struggle to find a job or stay employed because of their age. The change in the ratio of older workers is because of the smaller cohort of younger people in our community. By 2034, it's projected that older adults will outnumber children for the first time in U.S. history, as all baby boomers will be 65 years or older by 2030. I want to make certain I understand what you just said about the the dynamics of the workforce here. Did I hear you say that people entering the labor force under 25 or in that age range is less than those people that are leaving the labor force? Yes, it's projected by 2034 that all people in the baby boomers generation will be 65 years or older and the amount of people still in the labor force from that age cohort will be significantly more than the people in my age generation. So, in effect, our labor force, our U.S. labor force, is decreasing. Yep. We're not replacing people that are retiring and the baby boomers. Huh. Okay. Karen, do you have anything to add to that? You've got a lot of expertise in this, and you're certainly focused on it. Please give us some of your thoughts. I'm just going to share some family history here, and some of you are going to probably relate to this. I mean, I think about the significant change we're seeing in demographics and the fact that we have fewer younger people. So I think of my great-grandma, 11 children. My grandma, five children. My mom, three. My husband and I, one. That is the trend of what families are doing today. Far fewer children. They can't afford it. Women are becoming educated. And, in fact, they have careers. So we are seeing a significant decline. Part of the challenge, I think, is that employers, while they may have heard this, haven't really fully come to terms with the fact that we have fewer younger people coming in and a lot more older people who are living decades longer. So this obviously has big implications for the workforce. I mean, I want people to remember, AARP did a report, and they found in 2019 there were more than 250,000, 250,000 people over 85 working. I mean, Warren Buffett, he's 90-plus and still working. So I think we really have to evolve our thinking about, really, what is our work span? It isn't what it used to be. That's an interesting point. Uh, Karen, I want to push you on a, a couple of things, what you said. Uh, let's talk about you know, how you identified people 54 and older as older Americans. And I believe uh, between the two of you, I may have heard that that's a productive group of people. And you may have mentioned, uh, I think, that the uh, employers need to recognize that this is an important group of folks to, to consider a part of the labor force. What do you have to do to get the attention of the employer to maybe give that some thought. Now, I want you to know, in our particular company, we are finding that when you've got, they talk about 11 million jobs that are open right now, and only 5 million or less that are looking for jobs, it seems to me an answer might be this group you're talking about. What are your thoughts? You know, I I think capturing the attention of the employer themselves is, is really part of the key. And some are just not really thinking, again, about this, how the talent pipeline is going to have to cover from 16 to 90 plus. 
Um, I think that uh, hopefully hearing this broadcast will help them think a little bit more about that and really focus on that and really get connected and engaged. Um, there are programs out there. I mean, for example, we are working with a foundation here in Colorado that is really funding us to work with corporations to help them do exactly that kind of thing. I have my self-interest here, obviously, because we're trying to find capable people, and I know the part of the result is, is, is that age group you're talking about, as well as the young ones like yourself, Alexa. Um, but there is something else that's going on <clears throat> that impacts the older uh, generation. That is, you know, we work all of our lives so that we can kick back, play some golf, enjoy ourselves, and then this ugly word comes in, inflation. Inflation issues in the United States, and we have one of their higher inflation rates in the United States here in Colorado at the present time. And with it running at its highest point in 40 years, do you think that's going to force the issue about the older individuals maybe wanting to participate or stay in the labor force longer? I think that inflation will play a key role. It's, it's impacting every American today. But even without inflation, what we really need to be thinking about is We've got some hard data from Transamerica Institute that said the average American has saved $90,000 towards retirement. $90,000 with Social Security, I mean, to live and pay for 30 years of extra life, not going to happen. You're, you're just not going to have adequate funds to make it happen. So many people, with or without inflation, will need to continue working in some capacity. Um, there are challenges, though, because I think a lot of employers are thinking, well, they, they're retiring, we, you know, they don't want to work. Um, many do want to work, but they want to alter the dynamic. They don't want to work 60 hours a week, you know, every single week of the year. Quite frankly, even Alexa probably doesn't want to work 60 hours a week every single week of the year. We have a new dynamic in the workplace. So I think some changes have to occur within the employer mindset and how we structure work and recognizing that older people really likely would continue working under the right circumstances. Okay, let, let's make certain. Again, I'm being my own self-interest here, okay, and I think a lot of people listening to it. So what I hear you saying is that that if you want to bring this, continue to have the older, often more productive members of our labor force stay engaged, you not only have to think about the flexibility in how they might work, in other words, part-time or, you know, two days out of the week or three days or maybe six hours out of eight or something like that. But also, I hear you beginning to talk about the idea of training. And so we have to be, as employers, more dynamic if if the individuals want to be engaged. Is Am I... In the same Absolutely. Level of understanding? Uh, uh, yes. And, and I'm going to point again to a report that AARP did. One of the things they found, I mean, they did surveys across the U.S. as well as surveys across the globe, and they found that once an employee hits 50, employers reduce the amount of training and education they provide. And every few years beyond 50, it goes down further and down further and down further. Yet in Singapore, They've actually incentivized employers to really, they give them extra money to continue training. Well, they've so, got a decreasing population base there yes. and a huge issue with regards to trying to import people. So you're saying one of the resolutions that we ought to look to is what Singapore's doing. Yes. Yep, yep, absolutely. Singapore's got a, an amazing program called the Work Pro Program. They actually allocated up to $400,000 per company to really become age friendly entirely flexible workplace, um, more training for older adults uh, to ensure that those people could connect, stay engaged, support the employers, and grow the economy for Singapore. 
it, it just makes perfect sense. Alexa, people may say, well, oh, wait a minute, so what? You know, what? you've got this aging workforce, and they spend more money. So what's the economic impact of this aging workforce in Colorado and just in general? Uh, what has CSI found the importance economically on this issue? Well, there was a 2018 AARP study released called the Longevity Economy Outlook, and they had it for each of the states. So we specifically looked at Colorado's, and it said that for the 50 years and older population, they will continue to drive our economic growth for at least the next 30 years. Wait, 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 wait. So you're telling us that they're a key part of the state's economic growth? Most definitely. The 50 and older. And that's by, and if I hear Karen correctly, that's by productivity, and that's by making certain that uh, we've got them trained. They have the spending power that's going to, in essence, contribute to the economic growth. Is that what you're saying in Colorado? Yes. Inordinately so relative to their age group? Yes. Wow. Okay. Please go ahead. So by 2050, they are projected to contribute over $500 billion in GDP and almost $45 billion in state uh, taxes. This, there is still room for potential lost economic benefits and contributions if the labor force partition rate, participation rate does not recover. And as of March this year, um, there are just over 2,000 fewer retirement age workers in our labor force today than there would have been at uh, the pre-pandemic rate. Is there a trend where that's starting to decrease more, or are you optimistic about it, or what are your thoughts about that 2,000 coming back into the labor force and what might bring them back into the labor force? Well, as you and Karen both mentioned prior, inflation is going to have some determination on whether they are deciding to come back into the labor force or not. Okay. Um, especially for those who feel like they don't have enough retirement savings saved up. So I think that I am optimistic that they will return to the workforce, uh, maybe not full-time, but for sure part-time. You know, I was just doing the math in my head, Karen, with regards to um, 8% inflation. Mm-hmm. That means my dollar purchasing power in 10 years is one-half that. And uh, I guess you have to wonder, for those people that are on the margin and trying to enjoy life, but yet they have to make certain their checking account balances out at the end of each month, when is it they're going to realize that, hey, wait a minute, inflation is working against me? So I let me follow up on that then. Um, what are the policy considerations beyond people like yourself? I'm sure there's those that are aware of it, and I know you're trying to make businesses aware of it, and thank mm-hmm. you, I appreciate it. But what are the policy considerations that uh, you think we ought to think about and you're really passionate about? You just say, hey, if I had three things I would do, these are the three things that I was a benevolent dictator would make certain we did. I only get three? Um, okay. You All right. Could, three. Uh, All right. Three. The three. Uh, you know what? If you want to extend it, go ahead. All right. Well, I would start, you know, again, what Singapore did with the Work Pro program, like really incentivizing employers, putting it in the hands of employers and rewarding them for evolving their practices to serve their company and the economy as a whole, I I think that that's something that Colorado should do. I have actually had conversations with Senator Lundeen and pitched this to him. He was very enthusiastic. Unfortunately, this year we just didn't have the funds and the budget to make that happen. But we, we have looked at that very closely and, you know, 
talked to Joe Barella about it, others within the Colorado Workforce Development Council. Just what about a credit? What about a, a credit that the, the employer would get for education program instead of having something from the state? Just get a credit. It could, it could be a credit as well. If the whole goal is to incentivize employers to evolve and adapt and to really figure out you know, we have a shortage of workers. There really is a whole talent pool that is really not being tapped in, in the way it could be. And to Alexa's point, I think a lot of it's going to go around this thing of, I'm, I did my 80 hours a week. I did my 60 hours a week. I'm not doing that anymore. You want me? I'm going to be involved here for 30 hours a week and maybe it's on a, you know, every six months kind of basis. So I think that's, that's number one. The okay. second thing I would look at is, is training very specifically. There was another program that rolled out to the Department of Labor at the federal level. They granted out funds to 10 different organizations across the U.S., and all they did was help older people reskill, next skill, and upskill. So getting them prepared for a new job. I mean, Earl, you and I can probably think about it differently maybe than Alexa, because when I was growing up, there was really a chance that we might stay at a company for 10, 20 years. Today... That's not really a possibility. I mean, the odds that you will change jobs in three or four years is extremely high. So being able to reskill, upskill, and next skill is absolutely critical, and that takes dollars. We've pitched that at the state level here in Colorado as well. Again, it didn't make it this year, but I am tenacious. So that would be the third thing. Uh, the second thing. The third thing uh, that I would say is we really have to figure out how do we um, not penalize or create barriers for older people who want to come back to work. So there are, for example, there are laws that are being changed in Colorado that said if, in fact, you go back to work before your full retirement date, even though you were retired, you would be penalized and have to pay taxes on your retirement income. Colorado has taken some very positive steps to change that, but don't create a barrier for a person who needs to go back to work to ensure that they have financial security until they die. Also, if I understand some bills down at the legislature, I'd be interested in your, your comments that we have PARA set up such that if uh, you go back to work in counties or places where you have issues that shortages of staff members, uh, you may have a penalty on your PARA, para payment, even though you can go there, receive income, all of a sudden your PARA payment, in essence, gets uh, impacted or lessened. Do I remember that correctly? And do you have a thought on that piece of legislation? Well, there were actually two bills that were targeting PARA, and they were all around teachers. I these mean, are our state employees these we're are talking our, about. Right. But we have a teacher shortage in, in yeah. rural Colorado, and this is kind of addressing that. So please go ahead. Right. Uh, the two bills actually did a great job of addressing that if, in fact, you had retired and went back, that you would not have any sort of um, penalty towards your retirement benefit from PARA. You could continue, gain that employment, and continue with your PARA benefit. That's a good thing because it incentivizes people to fill the roles that are critical for, for educating our younger population. Um, the second bill really was around substitute teachers. I, I don't know how they determined this narrow limit of days that you could actually work, but the legislation passed that allowed them to they expanded the number of days, which makes it far more efficient for a substitute teacher to come into the school and know that there's continuity throughout the year 
as they're teaching these students. So those were both really, really positive things. So we have some public policy issues that are kind of tripping us up and keeping people that are productive into the labor force, et cetera. Yes. And fits within the area that you're talking about. Hey, we need flexibility from the employer and also public policy. Do I hear you correctly? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Alexa, uh, I know you've been working on this. Uh, do you have anything to add to what Karen just said? Karen gave a very nice brief of the bills that we mentioned. Um, I actually looked into it this morning, and as of today, all of the bills that we mentioned in this report have been signed by Governor Polis and became law. Congratulations to both of you. This is the, you know, the private individuals like ourselves getting involved in public policy and the, you know, the community being a big winner as a result. Congratulations. Thank you. Karen, in the midst of the 2022, I have... Uh, we talked about the laws, the bills, et cetera. If you had a chance to say, I'd like to add to that for the next for the next legislative session. Hey, there, we've got these two. There are three or four others that I'd like to see us try to, to think about. You mentioned some. You mentioned Singapore. Mm -hmm. And is there anything else that you could see yourself maybe uh, going down there as a benevolent dictator and saying, hey, we need to do this, this, and this, but also... Say it uh, as, tell me as an employer what you'd like to see me do also if you just have your, uh, you have your say. You know, I, I really think that the work pro bill out of Singapore is something that should be copied here in Colorado. What they're doing is just really creating that incentive. I mean, there are massive corporations like Unilever and BMW who are doing this on their own and having phenomenal results with flexible workplaces and really addressing every age of their workforce. Um, but here in Colorado, I think having that kind of credit or, or grant to employers, particularly small business, they don't have the manpower. They don't have the, the resources to hire the mercers of the world to really structure the kind of program that you want. So really having that established here in Colorado to help those small businesses continue, grow their profits, and keep the economy of Colorado moving along, I think is, is the way to go. Lexi, you may follow up. Uh, the only thing I'd like to add is not every change has to be a very drastic change. Several of the stories that we quoted from different companies and the programs they've implemented did very subtle changes for their older workers. Um, this could be things like more comfortable chairs, more comfortable flooring, um, the option to sit at a production line, the option to work with younger people who may work faster than the older person. Um, you're, you're telling me what the Germans have done, aren't you? <laughs> I'm referencing the BMW. That's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> but, yeah, very minimal changes can make a large difference in keeping these older workers in our labor force. I, I want to challenge the two of you. Um, you know, the government can't do everything for us. Hmm. An employer can't do everything for us. We need to take on some responsibility ourselves. And I was thinking about that. You know, if I need to improve my Excel skills, where would I go do that? If I want to improve my technical skills, you know, where would I go do that? If I want to, in essence, become more proficient in my writing skills, where would I go do, where would I go do that? Where does the education system, for me, the older person, I really want to enhance my skills so I can stay productive. Well, where's, where does education come in on this? Where does uh, the community college system fit in? Or if they don't, where should they fit in? What are your thoughts? 
Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me, if you are someone who is employed in the older worker population, I would definitely bring it up to your superiors, your advisors, um, that you would like to get some additional training and education and see if they have any plans that they've already implemented. So take initiative yourself within your company. Yes. Okay, got it. Uh, My second thought would be to simply surf the internet for free classes or even look up YouTube videos as there are a plethora of Excel um, experts who broadcast videos of them doing very simple tasks that can make your workday much more productive. Okay. Karen? Excellent, Alexa. I concur 100%. But one of the areas I also follow is the technology space, really thinking that that's going to be a huge help for older adults as we, you know, get older. And there are just a whole slew of startups that are focused on nothing but helping educate you about, and actually, it might be you, Earl, training me. I might connect you with you for two hours for 50 bucks, and you would be training me on something, you know, technology or strategy for the bank or whatever it might be. There are just, if you Google, as Alexa said, it's just amazing what is out there. Also, going to your workforce center, those workforce centers, if you're out of work, any age, you go to the center, they can direct you on a path towards giving you the kind of resources to really, you know, get yourself to a point that you are employable. For all of our young people wanting to go to college, we have a college counselor. And the college counselor says, Alexa, Karen, gee, with your interests and these incredible skills, what do you think about this institution, that institution, and we'll help you prepare for it? Where is that person for the older generation? I come in and I see you and I say, hey, you mentioned all these things, but where is that that career counselor for an older person wanting to keep them on the cusp? Is that a profession that's out there? I would certainly be willing to pay for it, to have somebody give me some really one, two, three things that I could think about doing, be it YouTubes, or be it $50 here, $50 there. Where's that profession, Karen? Where is it, Alexa? Or is there somebody already doing it? Through some of the workforce centers, and not all of them, we have 16 in Colorado, there are four that have unique programs targeting the 50-plus population. So, for example, Arapahoe Douglas Works, you can actually go into that center, and they have a navigator. They have basically a career navigator who who is cognizant of, you know, this is an older person who may need a little bit more support. Now, that is not across the system, but they chose to take that path because they had a lot of older people coming in. I think it's a needed field. Um, I think we, we need more help because if you've been working at a company for 10 or 20 years, you kind of lose track of, well, like, what's, ha- what's happened in the last decade? What, what am I short of? Because I'm doing this job just fine, but now I have to change. So you raise a really good point, and I think we could use a little more support in that area, and that would be an area that the, that the state could help nudge along. Or somebody that's a bit of an entrepreneur can maybe oh, yes. start something in yes. the technology side. Yep. You know, I, I'm not a great believer the state has got, you know, it, I think the entrepreneurs are likely to help things move along. So that's just my mm-hmm. bias, of course. You know, I can't thank you enough. Uh, the, the time and the insights, um, I hope the policymakers, the business leaders, will take the time to really consider the research that CSI has done. Uh, and our aging workforce um, and the input you got today. And Karen, what you've done and what you are doing 
you know, we're very beholding to you because quite honestly, I think a lot of people don't realize that what you're doing is right on the forefront of solution to what I consider just basic economics. You know, let me leave this with the people on the podcast. You want to have economic growth, you've got to have two things occur, right, Alexa? You've got to have productivity in your population, your workforce. You've got to have labor workforce growth. You just told me within the first 25 words of this presentation, our labor workforce is going down. Yeah. And, Karen, you told me in response to that, the answer to that is to keep our folks 50 and older engaged. Well, it seems to me we've got a little bit of an answer then to help keep our labor force steady or growing. And you also told me, I believe both of you, that one of the most productive groups of people that we have are 50 and older. So if we've got a labor force we can hold steady and growing by keeping our older folks engaged, and if they're the most productive and we can keep that growing, it seems to me all of us are a winner because growth in both of those areas means economic growth for our country. Am I missing something, or is that just Earl Wright's simple analysis suggesting this is a real win-win for all of us if we can keep the older population engaged? Thoughts? Spot on. Yes, you're correct. Well, okay. Thank you so much for your time and all that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.